to give up to get here, but what the one who really made this possible for you gave his entire life though he was perfect so that you could even have the chance to arrive to this place today. Your businesses that you gave up do not, they, are, they pale in comparison to the blood of our Messiah. The houses you gave up pale in comparison to the blood of our Messiah. And this is the attitude. Let me continue for you. I do not consider it a cheap thing to be counted among his saints, for I could never have afforded the price he did pay that I may be called his own. I do not consider it a light thing to be among his people, filled with his perfect and holy spirit, for it was the greatest gift reserved for those who would share in his name, his sufferings, and his glory to come. Today, we are stepping, church, through the entirety of Romans chapter 12. It is going to be a very exciting day for you, I promise. And there are nine points we're going to cover with you today. Are you ready? Are you still with me? You're not already lulled to sleep, are you? We're actually, we're probably going to be loud and shout at you a lot today because there's an attitude that we really are trying to display to you and we need you to know that this is the attitude we're walking in. Say, it's my honor. It's my honor. Are you at Romans 12? Yes. We're going to walk through 1 through 21. There's not going to be a word that is skipped today because what Paul has for us is very special. We're going to read a lot of Paul's letters um, you know what Paul didn't do? Convince people of the truth. He lived out the truth. His life convinced people of the truth. This morning, we're not going to convince you that you should have honor for the Lord. You are people who already carry honor for the Lord. Because the life that Jesus lived was honorable. Therefore, he showed every one of the characteristics. There's nine that we're going to be talking to you about today. It's pledges. It is my honor to this. It is my honor to this. And the first one, pledge, that we say this morning is, it's my honor to be a living sacrifice. Romans 12, verse 1. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Who in this place has ever laid themselves completely into the hands of God before with full trust? There was a moment in time where you had to surrender, right? There's a moment where you became a sacrifice, right? So that he could take your life and do whatever he pleases with it. As you know, this is the most exhilarating ride you can ever take. It is one that requires faith. It is one that requires trust. And in the journey, it is a faith that will cause you to have to act on what you believe. That's a rocky road. When you get to a place where you actually have to live out what you believe, how many have experienced that feeling of, man, this is going to be crazy? Yeah. Well, crazy is the life you want to live. Everybody else is living abnormally, 
Oh, or uh, I would say normally live, normal lives, and we're supposed to live abnormal lives. Yeah. It's faith accompanied by action. Amen? Church, today we're going to walk through the whole chapter of Romans 12. We will read it to a full context. We will not miss a word. But I want to point out something very clear to you this morning. Unless you first become a living sacrifice, a true worshiper, as the text describes, you'll never be able to accomplish anything honorable in the kingdom. It's the first step. It is my honor to be a living sacrifice. Luke 22, verse 41, I'll read to you. It says, Jesus, he withdrew from about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Come on, who remembers this passage? We, we were in it a couple weeks ago. Pastor Landon brought many beautiful points about despair and the disciples sleeping in sorrow. But this morning, we're focusing on the character of Christ, it being his honor to be a living sacrifice. Jesus, ever before becoming a literal sacrifice, as he did on the cross for sin, had to become first a living sacrifice. I'm trying to draw a distinction here. There's a literal sacrifice that causes one to die, and then there is one who lives as a living sacrifice. It was his honor to live as the living sacrifice before ever dying as the sacrifice. Even as a boy, Jesus was found at the temple worshiping Yahweh and was familiar with sacrifice. This is a time where they're still presenting them. Jesus here in Luke 22 is preparing himself to die. Every moment of his life led up to this moment, though, because he was a living sacrifice and it was his honor Everybody wants to die for Jesus, but nobody wants to live for him. Church, we have to revive the living sacrifice, attitude, mentality that says it's my honor to be one. You see, church, it is our honor to be a living sacrifice unto the Lord, just as Jesus considered it to be. There's no greater life. We get the privilege of walking in the footsteps of our Messiah each day and know it hurts our flesh. How beautiful is it? How honorable is it to live the way that Jesus lives? Who remembers? A few years ago, we had t-shirts that said, bind me to the altar. Came out of Genesis. What was that from? Isaac. We know of this attitude. This heart posture that says, take me, Lord, I'll be the sacrifice if you want me to. That's the cry of his promised sons, as we all are. Isaac, the foreshadowing of Christ, saw it as his honor. Somebody say honor. Honor. To be one who is a living sacrifice, as we should too. We think sacrifice is bloody, which it can be. We think living sacrifice has something gloomy, full of death, sorrow, pain, difficulty. But church, I want to paint it in a different light. You have the slide for Strong's number 2198. In the passage that we're reading, that word for living right there, 
Look at the, the words that it describes it as or what the meaning comes down to in the Greek. To live, breathe, be among the living, not lifeless, not dead. To enjoy real life. To have, full, have true life. A worthy of the name. Active, blessed, endless in the kingdom. To live in the manner of living and acting. It represents living waters. Having vital power in itself. To be fresh, strong, and effective. Are you a fresh, strong, and effective sacrifice? Active, powerful. Do you see the words that it's describing here? We're called to be living sacrifices. We're not called to be Eeyore running around. I've been marked for this cause of the gospel. Come on, we've been, we've been redeemed from that. We've, come on, we've been redeemed from that. Church, listen, to live a life as a living sacrifice must, from the outward eye, look like a pool of living water to those who are in need of it. Living sacrifice. Our life is supposed to be attractive to those who are in need. Why? Because Jesus brought forth to the world a way of life that saves all men from the pits, from the mud, from the mire. And let me tell you, church, Christianity is called to do one thing. It's called to be a light to those who are in need, who are in darkness. I believe most Christians do a poor job at this. We'll sacrifice, but we'll complain the whole time. About what we lose rather than the abundance of what we've gained. Yes. That's right. This makes the gospel unattractive to those who need him more than they know. The reason many don't come to Christ is because we aren't presenting him well. It's an honor to be a living sacrifice. Bring, bring back up that slide. Let's think about it for a second. Do you enjoy your life? Yes. You should. Why? Because you're a living sacrifice. Are you fresh? Are you strong? Are you effective? Because if not, you're not being a living sacrifice and it is not your honor. Are you like living water who is sent forth in the way that it should go and it affects anybody who encounters it? This is the life of a living sacrifice. It is our honor. It is our pleasure to walk with him. It was Jesus' pleasure to do his father's will because it was his honor. So let me tell you, church, I'm not going to convince you to be honorable towards God and to your brothers. You should be because it starts with being a living sacrifice. It will look like breath to the dying world. You will look like one who enjoys their life. It will look like one who lives a life worthy of the name you have received. Christian. That's what we are, right? When we throw around the word Christian so flippantly, people literally rope in men who are out for selfish gain as Christian. Self-humility as Christian. 
Being a good person, you are a Christian. No, being a living sacrifice, you are a Christian. It would look like living water streaming with force and whatever has been, been sent to. And it will cause your faith to be fresh, strong, and effective. And living out God's divine purposes in your life, it is our honor to be a living sacrifice. Amen? Amen. Listen, for you note takers, this is your perfect message. We're giving you nine points. You can pull out a four by six, four by six, excuse me, index card. And you can write nine points. Boom, 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 boom. Carry that with you everywhere you go. Maybe we will start living the life of true Christians. Listen, secondly, it's my honor to live selflessly. Say selflessly. Selflessly. Verses 3 through 5 of Romans 12 says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each one of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. This morning, we are talking about you. Say me. me. This morning, we are also talking about us. You see how Paul singles you out, but he also singles the whole out. You are inseparable from the ones on your left and your right. You are part of one family. It is selfish to think of yourself first. Why? Don't answer that. It's selfish to think of yourself first because when your eyes are set on yourself, you lose the ability to see and meet the needs of others. Listen, people admire those in their lives who pour their lives out for them or, or someone else. They're like, man, I just wish I could be like that guy. You see how he just so blamelessly walks, so sacrificially and so selflessly. He lives as a sacrifice for his brothers and his sisters. Maybe one day I'll be like that. Well, what's keeping you from being like that is that 99% of the time, and that's gracious, your eyes are on yourself and you're not looking to your left and your right. The word for sober judgment, we got Greek happy today. You're going to have to deal with it. The word for sober judgment is sof sophronio. Sophronio. <laughs> Strong's G4993. And it means to be of sound mind, to be in one's right mind, to exercise self-control, and to put a moderate estimate upon oneself to put a moderate estimate upon oneself. You attend, Landon. <laughs> You're going to make me blush. Listen, with this in mind, we need to echo the words of Paul in our heart when he writes to Timothy, and we need to think soberly of ourselves. And Paul says in 1 Timothy, it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. Yet for this reason, I found mercy. 
so that in me, as the foremost sinner of all, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Who in this room holds the Apostle Paul in high esteem? Like, seriously. He was the goat of the Newer Testament. You know, not including, not including Jesus. For all those who don't understand that, that's not a literal goat. It's, no, it's, uh, he was a sheep. The, yo- the youngins in the room, that's what they say for the greatest We're of all time. We're relatively young. So. <laughs> Just for clarity. Listen, you hold the Apostle Paul in high esteem. You hold him in high esteem, but I guarantee you he most definitely did not think himself the way you think of him. Not a chance. <laughs> no. It's foolish for us to think that we are above sin or even falling short. Or that we don't need to realize that we are a broken people. The only man who was never broken was Jesus. Yet you never see him living selfishly in any form or fashion. Yeah. Of anyone on the planet from the beginning of time until now, one person has had the genuine right to stand up and say, I'm perfect. But you never catch him saying it. Regardless of your role within the body of Christ, no one is to regard themselves as higher than another. We're all to consider ourselves selfless servants to everyone around us so that we might build the body of Christ together because we belong to one another. Have you ever thought of that? We think about it in marriage. You're not your own. You belong to your spouse. Yes, that's true. We just read that Paul says that about you and every other person in this room. That as one body made up of many individuals who all belong to each other. We are one family. Romans 13, 8 through 10 says, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this, saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the Torah. Listen, the first and last step to upholding every other command that the Lord has given is to love one another. It's the prerequisite to fulfilling the commands of Yahweh. Loving one another is first made possible by being selfless. It is my honor to live selflessly. When we as individuals live selfless lives and we build the body of Christ up, we are fulfilling the entire Torah by doing this one thing. You cannot love if you do not first take your eyes off yourself. Try that in your marriage and tell me how it works. Jesus lived the most selfless life anyone's ever lived, and it enabled him to love others properly. He embodied the Torah in its fullness through his love for his brothers and sisters. Those I admire in my life are ones who have lived selflessly for me time and time and time again. And it is my honor as a man of God to turn around and live selflessly for them and for every one of you in this room. 
And not because I deserve it, but because I know the standard the Lord has set, I expect every one of you to do the same for each other. It is our honor to live selflessly. Come on. Our third one today is, it's my honor to serve generously. Now today, was a, it was a really interesting time because I had shared with the, with the pastors up here what I felt like we should preach on this week and um in our in the beautiful way that God works in a team one of these brothers here uh assigned each one of these to each one of us as he was praying in the room well I come back and I see this that I get to preach to you today that it's my honor to serve generously this is a passionate subject of mine and it's an especially passionate subject of mine because I have a wife who displays this unlike anybody I know. It's also my anniversary today. Come on. We have completed six years walking faithfully with each other. And I get to preach and make mention of her, and she's not even in the room. Because you know what she's doing? She's serving generously. She's taking care of y'all's children in the other building. <laughs> yes, I can say whatever I want about her. <laughs> say it's my honor to serve generously. It's my honor to serve generously. In Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8, we continue, and it says, We have different gifts. According to the grace given us, if a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. That says something about in churches where there's no prophecy. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. <laughs> That's a lot to cover. You ready to go through this together? Yeah. <laughs> Disclaimer, stop looking at these gifts as you, as you identifying your secret superpower in the kingdom or your faction in the kingdom, like the, like the club that you're a part of. It's like, oh, I'm of the prophecy group. I'm of the ser acts of service group. Ooh. Or I'm the teacher in the room. Like This is not the point of anything that happened here that our Apostle Paul is writing about. Are you with me? Yeah. We have been given precious gifts and, desire, and desires from the divinity and character of our Savior. These abide in you and in me so that, you can, so that we can behave, think, feel, serve, and love just like our God. Prophesying, first one. Prophesying, what is it really? To hear from your God to the benefit and the blessings of others. <laughs> so if you consider yourself to be a prophetic person and you do not meet the qualifications of what my brothers preached to you just a moment ago, I would not consider you actually all that prophetic. Take, take that one home with you. Listen, there are whole churches filled with people who consider themselves to be very prophetic and have completely lost sight of the reality of living like a sac living like a living sacrifice or that it's their honor to live selflessly 
This is the point of prophecy for divine deliverance, direction, and instruction for the body of Christ. It is my honor is what should be said by those who prophesy. It is my honor, so I will guard my great faith. Because it is by your great faith that you prophesy at all. Ezekiel 37.10 says, So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them. And they came to life and stood. So they came to life and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. <laughs> this is what prophecy does. God, through the prophet Ezekiel, said, you speak to the dead bones. And what happened? They stood up and by the power of God invested in a man like Ezekiel, those who were dead came to life. Prophesy, or serving. This word is diakonia. This is where we get the word deacon from. Ministering. Diakonia is ministering. It's from a physical service to the leadership of Moses and everything in between. It's my honor to make myself a servant so I will pour my lifeblood into it. Matthew 23, verses 10 through 12 says, Do not be called leaders. Interesting. That's why we don't cherry pick verses. (laughs) Do not be called leaders for one is your leader. That is Christ. But the greatest, say the greatest. The greatest. Among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Or what about teaching? Teaching is imparting knowledge within the body of Christ. It is for the instruction of his people, not to be the smartest guy in the room. For the instruction of his people. It is my honor to teach, is what we should say. It is my honor to teach, so I will graciously and abundantly give all that my God has entrusted to me. But whenever we see those who hold on tightly, hold their cards tight to their chest, have the secret pocket of things, these secrets that you don't know about, but that if only you could get into his secret stash of of revelation, then maybe you would have faith like him. These are the men who are not proper teachers because they have lost sight that they have been given something freely because this is what Jesus says in Matthew 10, 7 through 8. He says, and as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you received, freely you give. It is my honor to share with anyone in my life, whatever it is that my God has revealed to me. Because from his divine knowledge and wisdom, I am being redeemed day by day. And I want nothing less for the people standing in front of me. The next one is encouraging. This is parakleo. This is where we get the word like paraclete from in our Bible. Not parakeet, paraclete. (laughs) Calling people up is what it means. So that all together we can accomplish the mission. In this case, we ought to say, it's my honor to call my brothers to my side. So we, we can, can rejoice in our victories together. 1 Samuel 14, 
verse 6 says, Then Jonathan said to the young man who was carrying his armor, Come and let us cross over to the garrison of these uncircumcised Philistines. Perhaps the Lord will work for us, for the Lord is not restrained to save by many or by few. There is, it is my honor, church. And you ought to say, in fact, you say it. Say, it's my honor. It's, it's my, my honor. honor. It's my honor to get to do these things together. It is my honor to call someone up to me. If you are striving to make disciples in your life, let me give you a pro tip. You do not elevate yourself to a certain place and then call people to you because you have elevated yourself to some mystical, magical place that no one can ever achieve and then call that discipleship. Making unattainable senses of perfection as you are living a life of falsehood, acting like you are perfect because you have elevated yourself to an unattainable position and then calling other people up to it because you are so special and because they are so broken and fragile and weak is not the concept that even our perfect Messiah displayed. This is what encouraging people is. It's funny, right? And so many of our tested and approved translations of our Bible, NIV, NASB, ESV, so many of them, it says this, encouraging. But the word is parakleo, and it's to call people up next to you. The next is contributing. It's imparting what you have to others with sincerity of heart. This, by definition is the virtue of one who is free from pretense or hypocrisy. Imparting or giving. Don't let the word imparting become too spiritual for you right now. We're saying that you have something the other person may or may not, and you are taking what you have, and you are sharing it and giving it to them. In the context of Romans chapter 12, it's talking about giving as an act acts of service of giving financially, giving of your talents and your abilities and your time and your energy. This is what it's speaking of here. But it means imparting, taking that which you've, God has given you and sharing it with others. We can see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. Each one of us must do as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a what? Cheerful giver. This is the attitude that we have to carry because it is my honor to contribute. So I will not let any person, circumstance, or faithless thought starve me from the honor to pay for the next step we make in this work together. Amen. Or what about leading? This word that we have for leading here in the Greek literally means to be set over the people because of diligence for the purpose of diligence. <laughs> Now, it says, those, let those who lead, lead diligently, govern diligently. Now, in this whole sacrificial, selfless lifestyle, we're not excusing the idea that there is governance in the house of God. Of course, there is leadership. Of course, there are those who God himself has set as leaders above others. But it is their job to humble themselves. For Philippians chapter 2 says this, But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, Paul says to Philippi, I rejoice and share my joy with all of you. Yeah. Giving 
compassion, it says in our last one. It means to show, be showing mercy or compassion, and it always costs you. Being compassionate, being merciful always costs you. Because it's in the face of a moment where you were expecting something else or maybe even deserving something else, and you didn't get it. And so what do you have to be? You have to be gracious and merciful and have compassion on the person in front of you. This word here in the Greek is literally the verb for compassion. In the Greek language, they have a word, they have a verb for compassion. (laughs) The way that we would say it in English is compassionate. To compassionate someone. It is literally to give unto them something that they did not deserve. Matthew chapter 9 verse 36 through 38 says this. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them. Because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And that's what Pastor Devin was just opening up today with. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Say, it's my honor to serve generously. It's my honor to serve generously. It's also my honor to contend for others. Somebody say contend for others. Contend for others. Romans 12, verse 9. It says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves, never lacking in zeal. But keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need and practice hospitality. Church, listen. With our mindset towards the goals in the coming new year, we will see that we have been given endless opportunities to live for our brothers and sisters. We got a lot of that coming for us. You know why? Because we're all involved in each other's lives. That's so amazing. It is our honor to do so. What I love about the work here at Remnant Church is the familial love that we have gained for one another. Amen? Amen. But do note, brothers and sisters can be selfish towards one another as well. Who's ever experienced a little bit of selfishness rising up against your brother? All the time. We got some work to do because it's our honor to contend for each other. Our zeal for outdoing each other in honor has to be that which makes us of people coming into the new year. Did you know that the ES- we've been reading the NIV, but the ESV says that we outdo each other in honor. This is an action. We're not just like, man, Pastor Kaysen's an honorable guy or uh, Pastor Land's an honorable guy. He's cool. And in, verb, in, in words, you say, man, what you do is honorable. No, you are, because you see this man as honorable, sacrificing yourself for him, contending with him. It's our honor to do so. Yeah. Look at 2 Timothy 1, verse 15. It's one of my favorite passages. It says, you are aware, this is Paul, again, that all who were in Asia turned away from me. Could you imagine that? All who are in Asia turned away from me. There's no one. That's crazy. Among whom are uh, Philegius and Hermit, 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 Hermit
They're not even worth mentioning. They didn't even teach me that in seminary. I, I didn't even know. I, I'm just kidding. I didn't go to seminary. All right, let's, verse 16. May the Lord grant mercy to the house of Onimiphorus. Oniphorus. For he offered refreshment to me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Paul firsthand experienced a man who was honored to contend for his brother. Onesimus is at this point running to Paul to refresh him because everybody else will not. Church, you got to start to realize God's given us each other for a reason. You know why? Because the whole world's going to turn against us. Jesus promised it. It says, because you have loved me, they will hate you. Therefore, it is our honor to contend for each other. Unismus was a son of encouragement to the Paul and his ministry. He went to extreme lengths to show Paul that he cared and honored him with his own life. This is the type of honor and love that we must show to one another, saints. An honor that is not self-seeking, but keen to the ways we can go out of our way to honor and bless our brother or sister. Man, you see how this is progressive? If it's our honor to live selflessly, then our eyes are not set on ourselves. And now, guess what? It's our honor to contend for others. When we get ourselves out of the way, we can actually begin to do the work. It's easier said than done. But Jesus can help us. John 3, verse 34. Check this one out. John 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. So also are you to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Again, Remember when we were talking about living sacrifice, it would be a sign to the world. Your life would be a sign to the world because you would look like a pool of water for those who are are thirsty. Well, you're also called, because it's your honor to contend, to be a sign to those that you can have genuine brotherhood. It's our honor to display it. 2 Samuel 23, verse 13. This is one of Pastor Kaysen's favorite passages. It says, and three of the 30 chief men went down and came about harvest time to David at the cave of Adullam. When a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley, uh, Raphim. David was there in the stronghold and the garrison of the Philistines was then at Bethlehem. And David said longingly, oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. Then the three mighty men broke through the camp to the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and carried and brought it to David. But he would not drink of it. He poured it out to the Lord. And he said, Far it be from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of the men who went out to risk their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. These things uh, the three men did. Come on, let's. Think about that for a minute. 
These three men had such honor for their king, for their commander in this moment, for David, that they were willing to go risk their lives to go get the water that he wanted. This is extreme yeah. honor. Yeah. This is extreme contending. This is extreme having high honor for your brother or sister, so much so that it says, the heck with my life, if it means refreshing my brother, I'm going to do it. When are we going to start living like this? Where it's not about us anymore, it's about refreshing my brothers in front of me. This was the circle that God's always intended. It's unity of man. The brother pours into you, you pour out for your brother. And guess what? It becomes a wellspring of life. An oasis. Our hearts have to get right, church. These men, out of strong devotion and honor towards David, were willing to risk their own life to get him the water that he needs. Somebody say, it's my honor. It's my honor. To contend for others. To contend for others. Church, we're... There are huge operations going on everywhere of men who become a celebrity because they preach sermons and then they have people rushing to get their favorite coffee because they have a hired employee that does it that rush to go get all of these things for them we're not talking about you doing that for your leadership here at this church if you'd like if you would like to do that do it for everyone i want you to look to the person to your left and to your right and honor them as if they were a king in your life. Avery should be able to look at Joe and be like, that man is a king in God's eyes. And I will humble myself as a servant before him and take care of every need that he has. I might even run to go try to get a desire of his favorite water from Bethlehem as they did for David. David didn't have a crown on his head. He wasn't even seated in a seat of authority. Somebody had to see something in David that was not even identifiable yet. It was just the word of the Lord and their heart and their love and the recognition for a man who had gone out of, way, out of his way for them. That's how they recognized him as their king and lived like that for him. Say, it's my honor to contend for others. It's my honor to contend for others. Listen, this is where it gets fun. Have y'all been having fun? Yeah. We're having a blast. Listen, this is where it gets fun. It's easy to yes and amen the first few points. But this next one is called, It's my honor to stand faithfully in all circumstances. It's my honor to stand faithfully in all circumstances. Verses 14 through 15 of Romans 12. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Listen, when someone persecutes you, what's your first innate response? Be honest. Defend myself. Defense. Defense. Okay, I didn't put that in my notes, but is it defensiveness? Maybe it makes you angry. Maybe you're a little offended, kind of taken aback that they would even persecute you in the first place because you're so special. Or does your first reaction lead you to bless them? Is there anyone in this room who can be like, that's me? I didn't think so. Listen, when Paul says bless those 
who persecute you. Is he talking about unbelievers or believers? The answer is yes. <laughs> He's ta- it's, he does not discriminate. It's across the board. Bless those. Who? All of them. Anyone who persecutes you, bless them. That's good. It's not easy to bless each other in this room when you're being persecuted by one another. How much harder is it then to bless those outside these doors that persecute you? It doesn't matter. Bless those who persecute you. Do you see the progression of Romans 12 as we've moved along? You cannot do any of these things we're getting to if you do not first die to self and live sacrificially. Dying to self and living sacrificially sets the stage for you to fulfill all of the Romans 12 mandate. Pastor Devin said it well. We're not leaving anything out this morning because it's that good and we need to get all of it. Proverbs 11 25 through 27 in the CJB says the person who blesses others will prosper. He who satisfies others will be satisfied himself. The people will curse him who withholds grain. But if he sells it, blessings will be on his head. He who strives for good obtains favor, but he who searches for evil, it comes to him. If your first reaction is any of those things we mentioned first before blessing them, watch your back. The psalmist says it's coming for you. What you do will be given back to you. But blessed is the man who strives for good. Blessed is the man who diligently seeks to do good, who puts his faith to action and serves one another. In the face of slaps, rebuke, curses, offense, in all circumstances, stand faithfully and bless those who persecute you. What about 1 Peter when he says, to sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. What is Peter saying? If you don't bless, you can't receive the blessing the Lord wants to give you. We should all be blessingless, but we're not because the Lord is good. He is merciful. He is faithful and he's patient with us. Verse 15 of Romans 12 also tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice. Listen, have you ever, because I have, have you ever experienced that fresh revelation, that fresh bread? You've experienced, maybe you found a new song that just wrecked you in the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's this word that was given to you. Maybe you received breakthrough. Maybe you received the miracle you've been praying for for years. And you go share that with a brother or sister. And you're so excited and so full of joy. And they're like, yeah, that's cool. That's super awesome. Glad to hear it. I know I can't be the only one. Does that not just suck the life right out of your joy? Like seriously. It takes all the joy right out of that. 
And it stinks because we were meant to rejoice with those who rejoice. We were meant to share and participate in others' joy. Can I tell you it's a blessing when you find yourself down for a brother to come to you, even if he's sharing his personal revelation, it's a benefit to you to share in his joy because so, you need what he has. And when you get what he has, you can then participate together in the joy of the Lord and grow together and bless each other. In all joyous circumstances, be faithful to stand and rejoice. But what about when others are mourning and grieving? Are there those of you in this room that it's kind of uncomfortable? You don't know how to relate, maybe. You can't understand what they're going through. So maybe you just kind of like run away. Because you might not know the death of a loved one. A big fight with a spouse. Those are big, but anything. That's worth mourning over. Or just awkwardly stare at them from across the room. That works too. What's wrong with them? What's like, wrong with them? I don't know. Maybe don't try know talking to them. them. You should go check on them. They're your friends. Like this. Hmm. <laughs> Listen, when others are struggling, if we're running away or hiding because we feel like we don't have the answer they're looking for, we're cowards. Because being able to relate or fully understand where they're coming from is not a prerequisite to mourning with your mourning brother. That is absolutely true. It is. Hear me. Not knowing how to relate to somebody in their hard times is not a prerequisite to being able to join with them in the mourning they are experiencing. Mourning does not make you weak. Jesus mourned over the death of Lazarus. He was broken over the death of his friend, his brother. Even though he knew that in just a little while, he was going to go prophesy breath back into that man's lungs. He could have just been like, nah, it's all good. I got this. Give me like five minutes and I'll do a miracle. No, he was broken over the state of Lazarus as if he did not know what he was about to do. But he was still broken. He mourned. Mary and Martha are mourning. He came alongside and joined them in their mourning. You don't have to understand the pain someone's going through to join with them in their mourning. Maybe they just need that shoulder to cry on. Maybe they just need you to stand faithfully in all circumstances with them. Yeah, amen. Listen, it is our honor to stand faithfully in every circumstance. Say, every circumstance, circumstance. it's my honor to stand. It's my honor to stand. The next one we have for you guys today is, it's my honor to lose my reputation. Told you, it gets spicy up in here. It is my honor to lose reputation. Romans 12, verse 16 says, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited, period. (laughs) I love the way this gets translated. Let me, I actually took a minute to walk through every single Greek word in this sentence. And um, it's phrased, how it's phrased is really interesting. This is the more, this is a transliteration of what it really says in the Greek. Think of other people around you. 
do not exalt yourself. Be led away with those who are lowly. Therefore, do not think too often and too highly of yourself. This <laughs> is how this actually like, really reads in the Greek. There are several words in here that a lot of scholars really struggle with some of the vocabulary here. And there are a lot of options to pick from. Now, it sounds awkward to say it the way that I just said it, but it's what it literally says. To live in harmony or to be of the same mind, as it says in the very first sentence of verse 16, this is the mission. To live in harmony is the mission. It says, do not be proud. Why does Paul say to not be proud? Because it is the restriction. Pride is the restriction to be able to actually live out the mission here. Next he says, but be willing to associate with people of low position. <laughs> Man, it's because this is the answer for what everybody needs. The two words here, to associate and to be with people of low position, these Greek words are synapago, say sunapago, and then tapinos. Say, sunapago means not just to walk with, like, you have the word soon, C-Y-N, it's like synonym, like, right? It's like two like things that are together. And then you also have pago. Pago means to be, to be led away or to walk away, but it's not just the activity of like walking as if like we were to just go out and pray and walk together around the property. It specifically is used for the verses in our Bible to describe whenever Jesus was led, it said that then they led him to go and whip him. Then they led him to his place of crucifixion. Then they led him, the guard led him away to be led away, to associate, as our English word says, with the lowly, with tapinos, is to be led away like a prisoner to an execution with those who were actually deserving of the execution. <laughs> that sounds like the nature of your, of your Christ, doesn't it? To associate with the lowly literally means in, in the Greek language to be led away like a prisoner to execution with those who are deserving of execution. What does it mean to associate with the lowly but to be willing to put your reputation, your public reputation on the line for the sake of seeing one soul in front of you redeemed? What does it look like in our Bible? looks like Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 7, that says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go to the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, as Pastor Landon just said, I have found my sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who have no need to repent. Church, we have to be willing to say, it's my honor 
to lose my reputation if it means associating with the lowly that they might be found seated with Christ just like I am. Come on, on, church. We got three more points. Have you all enjoyed what we have for you this morning? Next point is, it's my honor to be wronged. Somebody say, it's my honor to be wronged. We're continuing Romans 12, verse 17. It says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Who knows that they have been wronged before? Everyone's hand should be Looking up Looking past than feelings, you know for a fact it was injustice. Sometimes it's hard to think that way, though, because a lot of times our feelings cause us to think we're wronged a lot. But have you ever been literally wronged before? It's a perfect opportunity to display the cause of Christ. We're going to turn to Luke 23, verse 32. It says, two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him, Jesus. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified him. And the criminals, one of it on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldier also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine. And he says, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanging uh, railed at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, do you not fear God? since you are under the same sentence of condemnation. And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus, hanging on a cross with criminals, offered up himself as a ransom for many so that we too would live as those unashamed of the cross the cross was used as an instrument of torture it was used as mockery the thorny crown to display a foolish claim as king yet he himself did not call forth his angels to save himself it was his honor to be wronged and it should be our honor as well in Matthew 5, 38, it says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Hold on. We are not to resist those who are evil. How many of you have saved yourself from a slap for Jesus? Maybe not a physical one, but most definitely a verbal one. You could probably relate to that. Our attitude must be, yes, indeed, give me another. 
Because it is our honor and to the honor of his name to be wronged by man. This is a part of the cause of Christ. It goes on in verse 40 of Matthew 5. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. They too cast, the, cast lots for, the, uh, for Christ's garments. If somebody's going to go sue you, give them all. Verse 41, and if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. And the moment where Christ was wrongfully crucified despite the injustice, it had to take place. The wrong that we face must take place to work Christ's character in us. And Jesus saw it as an honor to take part in it. It is is meaningless to run around and try to avoid being wronged. Because Christ never did. Jesus offered salvation to the man who didn't know he needed it until he hung naked on the cross by the one who did not deserve to be there. It may be that in a moment of being wronged, that though we might not should be in this place, offer salvation to someone for the broken souls. Jesus was okay with being wronged, and do you think he was okay with Seeing this man in his kingdom? Of course. This was an opportunity. Us being wrong is an opportunity for the gospel. That's right. We don't avoid our enemies, even the ones who persecute us, because they need salvation too. Amen? It is our honor to be wronged. We are all part of one family. Our enemies are part of our family too. In the garden, God God made one human race. He did not make Christians and not Christians. He made one human race, which means every human being you see walking the streets of this city are called to be part of your family. They just don't know it yet. Jesus died for the all. He died for the one who mocked him and the one who was repenting to him. Listen, in light of Jesus' death, The second to last point is, it's my honor to live for my enemies. Verses 19 19 through 20 of Romans 12 says, Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. As it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Wow, say, it's my honor to live for my enemies. It's my honor to live for my enemies. <laughs> you Listen, said it. saints, this can go hand in hand with blessing your enemies. You can, if you haven't noticed, you can kind of intertwine all of these together. Yeah. I mean, it is all the same portion of a letter written to the Roman church. But listen, Because it can be so easily intertwined, it might cause you to overlook this and just wrap it up with the same wrapping paper that blessing your enemies is in. But I want to show you why it's just a bit different, and it's found in Romans 5. And verses 7 through 8 say, For one will hardly die for a righteous man. Perhaps the good man, someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, 
and that while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us so that we may live. Correct? We can all agree? Listen, Paul speaks an obvious truth that was displayed in the pagan men and women around him in his day. And goodness, it is, is it displayed in our generation, maybe even more. One will hardly die for a righteous man. Perhaps for a good man, someone might even dare to die. In other words, you'll be lucky to find someone willing to lose their life for you if you consider yourself righteous, how much less for someone who's just considered good. It would be far more daring for one to die for the good man. But Jesus Christ put every other man to shame and died for all. When everyone else has a hard time just contemplating the thought of their own death for the sake of somebody else's life. How often is that the case for us? We think, man, we preach, I stand shoulder to shoulder, never leave the ice. But how often are you actually, if it came down to it, willing to stop breathing so that the person on your right and left could continue to breathe. That should shake you because it reveals the power of what Jesus did for every one of us in this room. Hear me. Jesus died for them so that we may live for them. Jesus died for them the righteous for the unrighteous, so that we might live for them. It's an honor to live for our enemies. He already died for all, so he doesn't need us to keel over, whine, and die when we're persecuted. That's true. That is an attitude that needs to be rid far from us in this coming year. (laughs) Keeling over and just taking it because it's what Jesus did. No, Jesus died resurrected and lives alive inside of you so that you can live for somebody else that's right he doesn't need you to keel over wine and die when you're wronged he needs you to live for their sake to turn the other cheek to take the beating and live for them matthew 25 34 through 40 then the king will say to those on his right come you who are blessed of my father Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you as these things? The king will answer and say to them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Listen, Jesus died for all. We get to live for all. And don't be confused by Jesus saying, if you do this for one of my brothers, you've done it for me. But Paul says, bless your enemies who persecute you. Paul capitalizes on what Jesus says and takes it a step further because all humankind is part of God's family. We are all brothers and sisters, even the ones who are not in Christ yet. 
There is inherit an inheritance to be received when a son lives for his brother, even when that brother or sister doesn't realize he's a son or part of the family. When you live for them, they cannot understand it. And for the ones who want nothing to do with what you have to offer, then it will be as if you placed burning coals on their head. But if you go in with the mindset that I'm just going to bless them and feed them and then watch how they react they're man, they're going to get it good. Yeah. No, your first prayer and hope should be that you change their life yeah. by the act of service you are doing for them. Right. And if they refuse you, they have refused the Lord in which then he will put burning coals on their head. Church, it's our honor to live for our enemy's sake. To live for them when they won't live for themselves. When you do this, you're counted among the righteous who will be found with a reward on the great judgment day. Sorry. Say, it's my honor to live for my enemies. It's my honor to live for my enemies. Wow. And that powerfully leads us to our last point for you today. And that it's my honor to build his kingdom. Say that with me. It's my honor to, to build, build his, his kingdom. kingdom. What Pastor Landon just pointed out to you is that it can be a huge cop-out to say that you will die for your enemies or even die for your friends. It's much harder to live for them every single day. To live for the benefit of those who hate you. For live, to live for the benefit of those who do not benefit you and that, who cost you something. And then this is how we get to build his kingdom. The last verse of Romans chapter 12 says this, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And this has become a very generic statement in Christendom, and we are reviving it for you today. Amen. It is not just be nice to people. It is not just tell people to stop being mean to each other. Overcoming evil with good is the very nature of his kingdom. In Daniel chapter 2, it says this. Y'all stand with me as we close this out today. Daniel chapter 2 captures what, the, what John the Beloved writes in John chapter 1 when he says... The, the light came into the darkness, and the darkness did not perceive it or could not take hold of it. Daniel chapter 2, verse 44 says, In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these other kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. Inasmuch... Daniel says, as you saw that a stone was cut out of the mountain without hands and that it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future. So he says in his interpretation of the dream, so the dream is true in its interpretation is trustworthy. Church, the light of Christ is taking over first the evil that's within you. Yeah. 
he is overcoming evil in you with, with his goodness. And whenever you let him do that, you will overtake the evil in this world with, again, his goodness. Can you say amen to that? Amen. This whole thing is about the nature of your Christ overcoming the old nature in you. Then and only then do we see the expansion of something greater than any system of man. The expansion of his kingdom. This is what we're about, people. You know that this is what you're about? Do you know that this is why you're here? Yeah. Nick, you know this is why you're here? This is, you, know, you know this is why God brought your brand new family into this one? Because we are here together to see his kingdom built upon the face of this earth. To wait with longing in our hearts. Serving diligently. Living for our enemies. Portraying the nature and the character of Christ in this life until we see him, as we sang earlier, coming on the clouds. So this is what we say. It is my honor. It is my honor to be a living sacrifice. It is my honor to live selflessly. It is my honor to serve generously. It is my honor to contend for others. It is my honor to stand faithfully in all circumstances. It is my honor to lose my reputation. It is my honor to be wronged. It is my honor to live for my enemies. It is my honor to build his kingdom. It is my honor. This is what we're coming into 2024 with. And if you're not here on this attitude, then you ain't on.